Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Millennial Business Podcast, brought to you by Millennial Girls Media, where we teach you how to live, lead, create, and earn like a millennial. Our generation knows that technology and the way people do business over the next few years is going to blow your mind. So, if you want to stay up to date and relevant in this ever-changing world, strap in and get ready for the ride of your life. I'm your host, Taylor Victoria, and I'm going to teach you how millennials do business. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of the Millennial Business Podcast. I am so excited to be joined today by my amazing friend, Dan. Uh, oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I love it here. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's try that again. All right, man. Hey, guys, and welcome back to the Millennial Podcast. I am so, so excited today to be joined by my amazing friend, Dane Robinson, who I met here in Bali playing touch football at Finn's Footy Club. Um, no, Finn's Rep Club, sorry. Dane, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. Thank you so very much for having me, Tyler. It's awesome to be here. Yes, I'm so excited because I know a little bit about your story, but I don't know a lot. And obviously, I see some things on social media um, and I'm very intrigued and I'm excited to learn more. So to begin with, I would absolutely love if you could share with myself and the audience a little bit about who you are um, and how you got to where you are today. Because from what I see, you've, you've been through a pretty crazy journey and I'm super excited to hear about it. Oh, yeah. It's... Um... I think the, the best way to start a story is probably at the beginning of the story. Um, mm-hmm. So let me share with you, yeah, basically the, the whole thing as to what I do now and where it's all come from. Um, but yeah, I guess for me, you know, it started off when I was, um, so to get real deep, real quick and real soon, I'll tell you the, the, all the gory details, everything from the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. That's the easiest way to explain it. So my, father and my mother and father so I've, i'm one of 10 siblings but all of them are half siblings um but what that did is it created a completely different family dynamic for me my mother and father i'm the only child of my mother and father and um the the sad thing is that they had a really rough relationship they had a really bad relationship uh, i was subject to a lot of domestic violence as a kid i told you i was going to get real quick and deep and real early i'm subject to a lot of domestic violence as a kid um, my mother and father, my father was a severe alcoholic. Um, he would you know, go out and get drunk a lot of the time. Um, earlier on in my life, I was witness to you know, some pretty horrific events. And it really kind of shaped me into, into a different sort of human being. Anyway, fast forward to when I was about 16, my father passed away. He died of liver failure um, from excessive drinking. But that really scarred me in a way. It really kind of left a massive imprint on me. A couple of years before that, when I was 14 years old, I made the decision for myself. I said, you know what? I don't want to drink. I, I see people getting drunk and I just think it's a, a really dumb thing to do. And so that was the promise that I made to myself. Now, when my father died, when I was 16, obviously that was a you know crowning moment in me believing that I didn't want to do that. But then when I got to about 18 years old, I decided to break that promise due to peer pressure. Um, and then I ended up getting into a world of alcohol, um, drugs, uh, you name it, probably done it. Um, mm. But it kind of just, it steered my, my life into a certain pathway. One that, you know, I wasn't particularly proud of, um, but I could still function. And as a human being, I could still, you know, do all the cool things, you know, still be a type of person. You know, I played rugby for a large period of my life. I was in the corporate realm in terms of business sales for you know, a large portion of my working career. Um, but what I slowly realized that I was doing as I was delving more into the alcoholism and the, and the drugs and the partying and the, the corporate world was that I slowly started to lose a sense of who I was. And I, I look back onto my life, you know, in my early twenties, my late teens, my mid twenties. And I look at all these certain instances that I, that I was a part of and that I did. And I look back and I just think, Fuck, what an idiot I was, you know, what an absolute tool I was doing that sort of thing. I can look at that now with the beauty of hindsight, but, to give you some real understanding and perspective as to who I was, I was the type of dude that would get drunk. You know, I'd sit there with the boys, I could smash, you know, could do dumb shit with the boys. I could drink a heck of a lot of beer in a short amount of time because I hated the taste of alcohol. 
but what that led to was just me absolutely making a fool of myself. So that was who I was up until I was about 28 years old, 28, 29 years old. And so a few years ago, four years ago, um, well, about five years ago, I met my now wife and her and I were both mirror images of one another in a, in a larger sense. We both loved to party. We loved to go out. The first year of our life, we did some incredible things, but we also did some really stupid things when we were drunk and, you know, when we were high. And so a year into our relationship on the 30th of November, on the 30th of January, 2016, there was an incident that happened. Um, both my wife and I, my, my then girlfriend, my now wife and I, we'd had an argument and this argument culminated in, in the event of my wife deciding that she couldn't live anymore because in that argument, we, I said, you know, I'm done. I'm breaking up with you. I'm, I'm going to pack your shit, get the hell out. You know, I'm done with your shit. And so she took that on board and then she realized, you know, I don't want to live anymore. So under the influence of alcohol, she threw herself out of the window of the, wow. of the place that we were living, which was two stories. She landed on the concrete smack. Head was, you know, head hit the ground, her legs hit the ground. Um, so I'm out there, I realized what had happened. Get out there, you know, there's blood everywhere. She's crying and calling the ambulance. The ambulance comes, police come. Um, the ambulance takes my wife away to the hospital and I stay there. And I call her mum and I said, hey, look, um, you need to be at the hospital right now. Libby's had a fall, an accident, and I'm not going to be there for her. You need to be there because she needs someone to wake up with. And that was it. The cops came in, they questioned me, and they said, you know, what was the situation? How did this happen? And I gave them the situation. I gave them the story, and I said, you know, we had an argument. She decided to throw herself out the window. Fortunately, at that time, my flatmate was there, and I was having a conversation with my flatmate because she could, you know, back my story up. Otherwise, it may have been a completely different situation. Mm -hmm. And so she, yeah, so she woke up in the hospital. She asked, you know, where's Dane? And her mum said, he's not coming. You know, you've ruined it. You know, you basically, you've had this really good thing and your alcoholism has ruined it. And she broke down. And this is more of the story that she'll tell um, in time, but she broke down. We broke up for a few days there. We don't even count it as a breakup because we just don't. It was so small, but we broke up for a few days. And at the end of that week, we spoke for the first time. I just want a complete space from her. She needed complete space. And I said to her, and we spoke on the phone and the conversation got to a point where she said, I just can't drink anymore. I know now in myself that I cannot drink anymore. So I'm going to give up. And I remember hearing that and I thought to myself, you know what? In fact, I didn't even think. I just said, yep, I'll do that with you. We'll give up together. And so on the 30th of January, 2016, we decided to give up alcohol and the journey over that first year was incredibly like tough. It was, you know, it brought out all of the demons. It brought out everything that you're forced to, to sit with. You don't have the, you don't have the, the safety net of alcohol. You know, you go out to the pub and get, get trashed. You know, you can't just do that whenever thoughts start to get too heavy in your mind. So the first year was tough. It was really addressing and dealing with everything that you go on everything that goes on within you and you're just forced to deal with it. So then, but what we didn't realize at the time was that that really set in motion the pathway that we're living now. And the first year was tough. That was kind of a self rediscovery. The second year was like, okay, what are we going to do now? And in the second year, my wife decided to, um, she started to, she started her journey and our journey on to be a, like a, a social blogger, just to be a blogger blogging about her, alcohol journey we cycled the south island of new zealand and that was to celebrate our two-year soberversary um, and for her to really step into her next part of the journey which was to chronicle her thoughts her ideas her feelings all sorts of stuff so anyway as that happened she started to get the idea hmm, maybe i could be a sober coach and so we're like, okay cool so our first business together was her being a sober coach and she wanted to help people give up drugs and alcohol and that was really cool and middle of last year, about May last year, um, there came another event, another kind of serendipitous universe knock on the head where you're just forced to like go into a certain direction. And this event was Libby turned up, my wife turned up to work one day and she just broke down to tears crying. She realized that she couldn't do it anymore. She quit on the spot. 
which was unheard of. You know, she, you're supposed to give, you know, four weeks notice and let the workplace decide, you know, if they can afford handling yeah, you, all that yeah. sort of stuff. But she just walked in and said, I can't do this anymore. Broke down crying. Boom. That was her, that was her corporate career gone. And we're like, okay, well, what are you going to do? And she said, I'm just going to, I'm just going to build this business and see how it goes. Mm-hmm. So cool. All right. She decides to make that decision. And a week later she goes, you know, what would be awesome day. And I said, what? She goes, if you were on this journey with me, and I said, yeah, that would be cool. At the mm-hmm. time I'm still working as a corporate salesman, you know, earning good money, having a really good life. It was a pretty chilled. I worked like 25 to 30 hours a week and got paid, you know, well over six figures for it. So it was a comfortable life, wow. but it wasn't, it just wasn't fulfilling. There was, there was a lot of, there was a lot of something missing. I was turning up to work and being a drone yeah. and I didn't realize it at the time, but there was just so much within me that I needed to step into. Anyway, so she says that. She goes, you know what? It'd be cool if we were doing this together. I said, yeah, shit, yeah, that'd be cool. Anyway, literally about a handful of days later, I play rugby, smack. I get a concussion, severe concussion, my second one in just under a year. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it forces me away from work. And fortunately, I live in New Zealand, well, lived in New Zealand, where the, the social benefits are so good. Like if we get a sports injury, then I can just afford to take work off because the government's going to continue to pay how it yeah. worked out was the government actually paid more than what I was going to earn anyway. So it was like <laughs> I was being forced into this new, into this new role. So yeah. we decided at that point in time that, you know, we wanted to move to Bali um, that we wanted to, to, to make a, a life and a name for ourselves and a business for ourselves. And slowly over the last year and a half, Libby and I have been in this business together. But what we do is we help people understand and find their, their purpose in life and then to monetize that in whichever way that is. That's our growth. That's our joint purpose. Myself, um, my purpose and my, what I do, uh, I do a couple of different things. Number one is now I'm a male empowerment leader. So I help men really step into their power without all of the social constrictions of what it means to be a man, you know, going out and getting pissed every Friday, Saturday, treating your woman like shit. Um, you know, calling people names, all that sort of, all that bravado stuff. But I teach people how to, how to be, how to teach men how to be themselves without any of those commentaries, without any of those societal um, constraints that we place on ourselves. So that's, that's what I do, as well as um, we set up a, a not-for-profit organisation in New Zealand as well. We've got our event this weekend. Um, also set up another, uh, a little business on the side for uh, soul baskets, kind of like kind of like conscious gift baskets, like crystals yeah. and sage and meditation yeah. piles, doing all that. So, you know, right now, you know, thinking about where I was a year and a half ago, I couldn't imagine that, you know, this life is, is kind of manifested in the way that it has now where, you know, we're literally traveling around the world, you know, living in Bali. We've just got back from the States and yeah. Canada and Peru. Um, we're in New Zealand for another two weeks and then we're back in Bali. Well, Libby's off in Hawaii and then I come back to Bali. So it's just, wow. yeah. So that, that's, that's a long winded way of putting what, you know, what I do. <laughs> no, that's amazing. And there's, <clears throat> there's so much value and so many questions I have from, from what you just said, because um, there's so many different things that we can talk about, but I guess, the smartest place to start is at the start, right? So let's, uh, yeah. let's take it back to um, like as a, as a young man making the decision when you were 14, not that you didn't want to drink. Um, and then when you turned 18, that societal peer pressure, I know that pressure. I've felt that pressure because in Australia, it is a huge, huge problem where if you don't drink, it's like you're an alien. It's yeah. seriously insane. Like if you don't, it's just, and especially growing up in Canberra, there's literally nothing really to do once you turn 18 besides drink on the weekends and go out and get really drunk. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, for somebody who, who did have to feel the need to give into that pressure and then, I guess like looking back at yourself now, do you think there's anything that you could possibly say to yourself that would make you not give into that pressure? Or do you think you, you really just had to learn that lesson? I, I had to learn that lesson. And looking mm. back, you know, there's, 
there's a common thing of, you know, people look back on their lives with the beauty of hindsight and they feel regret at some of the decisions that they made. But mm. I wouldn't be this, 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 this person that I am now if I hadn't had the experience. Sure. And what, right now, the type of person that I am is, you know, someone who is, who feels empowered by the decision not to, not to drink now because I've experienced and because I've gone down the pathway that I have, I'm not able to influence people who, you know, not directly influence them and tell them, bro, you need to stop drinking. You're a dick. But just <laughs> in order to live a different life mm. and by living a life. And this is one thing that I've, that I've learned that is key over the last two years is when you live a life a certain way, a certain set of rules and which is against the societal norm, but you are non-judgmental in your approach and you are non um, you are non-direct with your, um, I guess, your influence, then people naturally gravitate towards that. And I'll give you an example. Um, so I'm also vegetarian. Been, I've been vegetarian for about four and a half years. And yeah. some of the conversations after a rugby, especially after a rugby game, you know, there's aftermatch and you know, people get on the purse and drink and then they eat heaps of barbecue and stuff. But yeah, I know that, I was sitting there and some of the boys, you know, some of the younger boys know that I'm vegetarian and don't drink and all that. But all it takes is just that first question of someone to ask you, you know, ask you what it means and then to, you know, to really kind of develop their mm. own understanding. So one kid, he said, Dane, what do you eat? You know, what do you eat after <laughs> rugby? And I said, and I look at him with my, with my plate of potato, rice and bread because <laughs> that's all there is at <laughs> after match. And I, yeah. and I said, look, I basically I eat this, 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 and this, and this helps me you know, do this and that. But that one question from that young kid will help his brain develop you mm -hmm. know, a sense of beliefs and you know that curiosity for him to go, okay, well, what is it now? What is it now? You know, and he'll just keep asking questions. And if you're non-judgmental in your approach and you're non-obtrusive with your with your direct, you know, I guess, influence then you open yourself up to be able to influence people on such a greater level because they're empowered in making the decision that they want to make. It's not you telling them that they need to make it because that disempowers the person. Mm. You need to influence them in a way that they don't know they're being influenced, but it'll allow them to make the decision. So you know, telling it back to the original question, did I have to go through those examples? Yeah, I did because even in my drinking stance now, it's exactly the same format. Mm. You know, I've sat there and I've impacted people's lives just by not drinking you know they've mm. gone yeah I, I don't go out as much anymore it's like cool awesome man that's that's real cool but yeah. you just don't know the impact of what you do until until you start to see people actually doing it you're like oh cool that's, totally that's, yeah yeah exactly well i think what in situations like this and i and i've had a similar experience in terms of uh leaving Canberra and, and moving away and, and doing something different. Mm. Um, but if you take the action, like you can tell someone a thousand times to do something, but when you tell them, they don't listen. But yep. if you lead by example, if you do something first, then you're planting the seed in their mind that they yep. could potentially do that as well. And it's crazy the amount of messages that I get on Instagram of people, like literally one of my friends was messaging me yesterday He's a 27-year-old, like, fully grown man, has his own business, whatever. And he was like, fuck, I want to move to Bali so badly, but I am yeah. terrified. He was like, yeah. I'm so scared. I don't know how you did it. And I was like, well, like, what's the worst? Like, when you think about it, okay, you want to move to Bali, right? Mm. You move, the worst that could happen is you don't like it, and then you move home. Move back. Like, that's literally, I, and I said that to him, I was like, you have so much money that like you could literally move and just, you can afford to move back straight away. When I moved here, I couldn't afford to buy a plane ticket home. So there was no coming home for me, <laughs> yeah. but for him, he has heaps of money. So I'm like, I don't know. It's like, it just blows my mind how people let fear hold them back so much. Like he said, it's his dream yeah. to move to Bali, but he's yeah. too terrified. And I was just like so mind blown. But when you can, when people know somebody that lead by, leads by example and does the thing before them, 
it helps to give them the bravery and you it's almost like they're borrowing confidence from you because mm. like if she can do it then so can i but if they yeah. don't know anyone that has done that beforehand then they're like oh no it sort of seems impossible but you yeah. make it possible for them in their own mind totally and the other thing like so people what i've come to realize over the last couple of years is that people have a lot of issues a lot of um, belief issues within themselves that they just don't even realize you know take for example that guy you know, he, he, he sees your life and sees it as impossible. And he goes, you know what? Oh, I can't, I can never do that. Reality, yeah. he can, there's, but there's something within himself that's preventing it. It is fear. But what is that fear? You know, is that fear the fact that, you know, did it, did it result as, uh, did it come as a result of maybe his parents who, you know, took a risk once and then lost, you know, a handful of stuff and then it got programmed into him that, you know, he should never take risks or, you know, has he been burned in the past by a girlfriend who just took all his money and left him dry? Or does he have something to do with Bali? You know, who, you know, who knows? But there's so much within people that we just don't know. We just don't know or understand that prevents us. And it's only when we like fully embrace that and learn about ourselves that we can fully you know, step into that and beyond that. Totally. Well, people just, people have so many limiting beliefs, yeah. but they don't even know, like before I moved to Bali, actually that's a lie before i started working in the personal development world and Mm. consuming content from the personal development world i didn't know what a limiting belief was that's not something that anyone had ever spoken to me about and then really when i moved to bali i started really deep diving into all of my limiting beliefs and the and the old traumas and triggers and things that were holding me back yeah and when you actually face those things head on and like figure out what they are and then try and figure out how you can move through them. It's like, first of all, it's super confronting when you first, like when I first sat down and I was like, okay, I'm going to write down every single possible limiting belief or old story or trigger that I think that I have. I wrote three pages. I know. And I was like, holy shit. I thought I was like a, like confident, like cool sort of, and I had three pages of them and, and, and I was so overwhelmed to begin with. But then when I had actually identified them, I felt really empowered because I, I, it was almost like I took back my power because when you realize what they are, you have the power to change them. Totally. Right. Yeah. And that's, once, once you and bring think, them out into the open, yeah. you can work on them. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's so important, especially like you mentioned, um, you mentioned sort of people drinking, I guess, like as an escape from their, mm. from their, maybe their trauma or what they really truly are thinking. And that's sort of what you and your wife were doing is you um, were drinking maybe to escape things or not look at certain areas of your life. But then when you sobered up, it forced you to really look at everything um, mm. for that first sort of year. And, and is there anything that, really helped you with like when you are being confronted with those sorts of feelings and realizing what your demons are. Um, is there anything in particular that sort of helped you to deal with them? Because I know for so many people, it can be really, really scary. Totally. Yep. Um, there's a couple of things that, that just come to mind. So number one um, was uh, a quote, which, which came about as, as you mentioned half of that sentence, but it was, um, you know, talking about, you know, how we use alcoholism and drugs to escape, you know, our, mm. whatever our situations are. And I remember this quote from, I can't remember who it is. I think it might've been Russell Brand. Um, it was, you know, ma- marijuana isn't the, isn't the gateway drug. It's trauma. Trauma is the gateway drug. When you, go for, when you go far enough back into a person's history and those who are, you know, severely addicted to certain types of substances, it's not marijuana that got them there. It's not alcohol that got them there. It's trauma, you know, trauma in one way, shape or form has helped shape that person's direction into where it is and where you see that person now. So that was, that was the first thing that came about. Um, But to answer the question, you know, what were the things that helped us get through that first year to be honest? And this, this journey that we did over the first year and that we've continued to do has been much easier because we are together both her and I are in the same boat. And yeah. what I've seen and what I've felt is that a lot of a lot of couples, when one person realizes they have an issue, a drinking or a drug issue, is that the other person will just let them work on it themselves because they don't see it as their problem. 
But in reality, what is needed is the, the true unconditional and together support of someone else, you know, that is close to them, whether it be, you know, their friend, their family, um, their, their spouse, their husband, their wife, whatever it is. But us getting through that first year, I don't think we could have done it if it wasn't, if, if we weren't, you know, together in that sense. Because you hear a lot of the stats about how people try and give up and it takes someone seven, year, uh, seven goes in order to give up uh, an addiction. But, but, you know, the strength of two people together is much stronger than, you know, two individuals. Yeah. And so being able to get through that as a couple, you know, saying in that moment, let's give up together, that was mm-hmm. the empowerment that we both needed mm-hmm. in order for us to get through. And I think that I, I can credit that to a lot of what we experienced, as well as, you know, certain minimal techniques like, you know, having a drink in your hand whenever you go somewhere, whether it's water, sparkling water or, you know, mm-hmm. a Coca-Cola or something, you know, certain things like that. Um, staying antisocial for a period of time because everything triggers you. You know, we turned up to parties and you could tell that guys were high. And we would just be like, oh, fuck, we've got to get out of here, you know, because this is just too triggering for us. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit, you know, people are drunk. Oh, that's too triggering for us. Yeah. So, you know, removing ourselves from the situation but doing it with love and then mm-hmm. also really choosing who our friends were, you know. Mm-hmm. some A lot of our friends that we created were party friends, you know, friends that we go out with and, hey, what's up, girl? Hey, what? Like, yeah, cool, all right. That, that's fun yeah. for, like, going out. But then when you really yeah. want to create a big connection with someone, you don't go knock on their door. You know, you go knock on the door of someone that you're really close to. And so yeah. we, we found a process and still finding a process of really kind of just cutting away the people in our lives that don't bring us any value and replacing it with people that we can trust, that we support, that support us and do bring us, you know, a heck of a lot of value. Yeah, totally. And I guess one way that, I mean, I've, I've not... Uh... I guess one way that I would assume that you could maybe start to do this is if, for example, you do decide that you want to give up drinking, you could say to all of your friends, like message them personally, not say it like in a group or something and say, Hey, I actually really want to give up drinking. It's become a really big problem for me and I would love your support and I would love for you to help, uh, help me to try and give it up and not, not encourage me to do it more often and if people then continue to peer pressure you then they're obviously not going to be the friends that are going to support you through that but if you have friends that are willing to like if you all go out for dinner or something they say hey no don't get a drink when you just Mm. ordered a beer or something then those are the ones that are going to empower you and lift you up higher so that might be yeah that might be a good way for people i've not experienced this situation personally but that is something that i imagine would work really well because i know in other situations when i have asked for my friend's support it's really really helpful when you do have like you just said you have libby when you have other people supporting you and and helping you on that mission um Mm -hmm. it can it can make it or break it which is yeah 100 and you know reaching out to your friends is a good is a good idea and you'll find out real quick who your friends are and who is mm. actually there for your highest good and highest purpose. If they come back and they say, no, nah, don't be a dick, you know, and they just palm it mm. off. But, you know, there, are, there will be some that go, hey, look, you know, awesome stuff, awesome work. Yeah, I have realized that you're a bit of a bit of a dick, but I don't want to be the one to say it. You know, this is something for you. And mm. it'll be confronting. You know, you will, you will encounter people's judgments much more harshly than, than in any other situation. Because yeah. alcohol is like, it's like a... It's a, it's a product, it's a substance that we have to defend when we, when we don't consume it. You know, it's so socially accepted that we have to defend our reasons why we're not consuming it. It's like, why, why aren't you drinking? Oh, because um, for health reasons. And they're like, why? Alcohol is good. You know, it's that, that, whole sort of, that whole sort of angle. So, yeah, it's a real, it's a real interesting dynamic. But reaching out to people, yeah, that is a good idea. You know, mm. reach out privately. You can put it on your Facebook page. Um, if you're that confident and you know that able to to receive whatever is going to come back, but reaching out privately just has a real direct way of speaking to someone. Mm. And, yeah, well, it's more personal. But but the other the other factor of that is that people people don't like reaching out to people. People don't like asking for help and asking for support. Mm-hmm. It's like 
you know, I'm struggling right now. All I want is for someone to help me, but I won't go and ask people because I don't want to seem mm. weak. And so there's that whole dynamic to get around. And, yeah. you know, that's, that's built around, that's built around the environment that we have created. You know, we've created yeah. an environment which, which kind of, you know, almost accepts that sort of behavior. So there's a very fine line, but, you know, for, for people that are out there, you know, that are experiencing this sort of, you know, deep turmoil within themselves that are thinking, mm. how do I get over this? Just break that stigma, break that cycle of not asking for help, of not putting your feelings out there, because it will do mm. you much more harm in the long run by you just bottling it up than if you were just to go out there and possibly receive some negative criticism. That you'll yeah. get over. But this, you won't. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think that also sort of stems into... I know one thing that you really help people is um, with is defining what it means to be a man mm. and potentially what society thinks you should be is like drinking, going out, getting fucked up, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But like you're really, that's where you're taking the lead, where you are planting the seed in people's, like we were talking before, you're planting the seed and really redefining what it means to be a man because... Yeah we need something needs to change for a lot of people um in terms of that process of or do you just want to maybe talk a little bit about um i guess what it what you think it means to be a man and and how you can go about redefining that for people because that's a huge that's a very big task (laughs) i'm glad you asked that i would love to this is my bread and butter right um (laughs) Yeah, so let me paint a picture for you. So society at the moment has, we've kind of built this this idea of what it means to be a man based on you know, generations upon generations upon generations of, of role models that we kind of assumed um, in the Western society. And, we, and our, our society is governed by Western society, you know, which, which basically states, and for decades before, you know, today, you know, it was the man had to go out and, and earn the money the woman had mm. to stay home and there were actual news articles and clippings of what a woman should do at home to prepare for his yeah. man her man to come home you know stupid little things like make sure that you look good so that your husband doesn't have to look at something ugly or make sure the kids are quiet so that your man can come home and relax or make sure that he has a hot dinner like stupid stereotypical gender roles shit oh, like stupid. that but that's, yeah. that's what's been programmed into our brains. But what this, what this has done is it's separated us so far from the core essence of who we are as people. You know, an example of this is for men, you know, we've built the stigma that, you know, we go to work, uh, we work a hard day, um, anything that happens outside of, outside of work, you know, in our family lives or whatever, we don't talk about. Everything is kept in the family. And that family mm. is tiny. It's, you know, if you're going for a nuclear, fa- nuclear family, it's, you know, uh, husband, wife, two and a half kids, pick a fence and a dog. You know, that's a small mm. group of people to be your supporting foundation. But that's what Western society was for so long. And so the man would go, he'd go to work, he'd you know, do a hard day's labor, he'd go to the pub, you know, have a few drinks, come home, and then he would basically run the show. And the, the wife would be somewhat submissive and somewhat, um, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? Supplementary to to the man's Mm. needs, which shouldn't be the case. So what this has done is it's allowed men to really separate from what it means to actually be an empowered male in a society. You know, we've we've replaced talking with one another. We've we've replaced communication with grunts at the bar over a a pint or or a jug or something. You know, we Mm. talk about superficial shit like, all of the distractions in the world, like fucking sport, you know, who, who, who the Swans beat this week, you know, who the Melbourne Storm play, who did, who did the um, LA Lakers, you know, do you see LeBron James? Like that, that's the sort of shit that, you know, guys talk about. But it's so, it's so shallow. It's so, you know, mm. it's so superficial. And so when things come up in our lives, like let's say, you know, our wife isn't happy at home, you know, she doesn't, connect with the husband because he doesn't talk so she goes and has an affair i'm not blame pointing blame this is just an example of a scenario you know she goes and has an affair who does the guy talk to in that supporting moment he can't find anyone because all he knows how to talk about is you know 
LA Lakers, Sydney Swans and Melbourne Storm. Like mm. that, that's all that he can really communicate. And so this builds this whole alone and lonely feeling that a, that a man has that they can't really go out and communicate what's truly in their hearts and what's truly in their minds. And this happens everywhere. It happens still to this day um, in a lot of the corporate world and a lot of the rugby world, which I was a part of, and a lot of the sporting world, which I was a part of. And it was just, it's poisonous. Like it is a poisonous culture because it just, it gets into your, into your being and it just, mm-hmm. it just seeps into every single part of you. And, you know, from what I understand, women are fairly similar, but I think women have a lot of, um, have a lot of natural empathy that they have going off and can connect with their feelings. So it's not as profound. Yeah. But for men, we're just so disconnected. And especially in New Zealand, New Zealand Māori men um, are the most likely to commit suicide because, you know, one reason is, you know, we just don't know how to talk. We've come from a society of where the men would talk, which was the the ancient Māori society, and into a Western society where we just don't. And we just supplement it with alcohol and drugs and all sorts of shit. So that's the that's the playing field. That's what we're that's what we're living in right now. That's that's the situation. So now and we're starting to see it a lot more in terms of men stepping up, becoming the empowered versions of who they want to be so that they can become the leaders that they didn't have in their lives. Um, and it's almost, we're in, a part, we're in a part now where we're starting to break the cycle of what it means to be a man, of what, we, what it means to be a man. And I say that with speech bubbles. Mm-hmm. And so right now, we stand on the precipice of men actually engaging with their heart space, going to... You know, starting off by going to yoga, learning how to meditate, learning how to go within, learning how to do breath work, learning how to hold cacao ceremonies to the point where last month I went to Peru and did ayahuasca and that was an incredible experience. Mm -hmm. So there's a whole lot of, there's a whole lot of things out there now, which men are slowly starting to get, you know, get towards. But the biggest thing that men can, that men can do for one another is, and people in general is to create the environment is to create an open and honest and vulnerable environment so that other mm-hmm. people can be a part of it and see that other people are vulnerable and go, fuck, you know what? This guy's sharing the same problem that I've got. Mm-hmm. Okay, I want to share my own problem too and get some advice. You know, I've, I've actually just set up on one of my Facebook pages a closed men's circle online on Facebook. And all it is is a live each week where I just jump on and answer questions. But it's not just me answering the questions, it's other it's other men also answering the questions that are coming up. And so it's just a space that men can, that men can be and can talk and can communicate and can listen and can understand without judgment, without fear of judgment from anyone. Mm. And there's another thing just based on that, that I've noticed is that when men are first starting out to be vulnerable, they don't want the influence of a female energy in the room. They don't want the influence of, you know, their wife, their girlfriend, mm. because there is still within themselves this feeling that they need to be strong, that they can't be vulnerable yeah. in front of those people. And that will, that will come with time, you know. It's, it's a timing game, you know. You start little and then you end up big. And so yeah. by creating that environment for men to really be open and vulnerable and understanding, that's the start. That's where we need to start, create that environment. Mm. And then slowly men will come in men will come in and then we'll start to talk and open up but for me you know i've i've witnessed a lot of my friends you know change their ways of life their way of living um and it's just been a really empowering thing to see you know see guys actually communicate with their feelings and not be so uh, logical and not talk so much shit yeah How do you get how do you get people out of their own heads? Because like I know a couple of guys specifically who um, people tend to just uh, really open up to me and yeah. uh, tell me a lot of things. I, I think I hold a very safe space for people to do that. And I know a few guys from back home that have reached out to me and said they're going through a really tough time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have suggested for them to do things such as meditate and um, and yoga and things like that. And even even just the meditation, like I said to one of my friends, if you just sat with your own thoughts just for two minutes every morning before you went to work, I think that would really help because he's feeling very conflicted about the current life situation he's got himself into. Mm. And he was like, 
no, I'm not gay. I'm not going to meditate. And I'm like, meditating doesn't mean you like, what, what do you even mean by that? Like, how, do, how would you, if there's somebody listening to this, if there's a guy listening to this and they're very, uh, they're not so open to potentially sharing their feelings or doing things such as meditation. Um, they're not very open to this world because they've never been exposed to it and they don't really know that, like, it's not something that they've learned that they need to do. What are, what are some first steps that even just to, like, help them to see that this is beneficial? Like, how do you get to, how do you help people to see that? Yeah, so for me, what I've, what I've learned and what I've understood and what I know is that the first thing I'll actually, the first thing I'll touch on is the reason why people come to you is because your energy, your energy is the reason why people talk to you, why people are so open with you specifically, you know, because you have such a beautiful energy about you. And if you continue to have that beautiful energy about you, then people will continue to keep opening up. And mm. that's what really attracts people. It's not, you know, the, the look of your face or, you know, your curly hair, for example, it's, it's the energy that you possess inside and people will always open up to you because of that. Mm. And that, 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 but that's the start, you know, people will come to you and they'll open up. So then how mm. do you transition that to the next stage? So the next stage is for men, what I've realized is that they, they appreciate logic. They appreciate what it's actually going to mean for them. You know, you mentioned that your friend said, well, I'm going to only gays meditate. It's like, well, no, like actually have a look at all of these people right here. Every single one of these successful business people, they all meditate. Steve Jobs meditated. Elon Musk meditates. Joe Rogan meditates. You know, mm. all, there's a whole bunch of sports people that meditate that get themselves into a greater state of being. A lot of sport. The Chicago Bulls, 95, 96, Phil Jackson, who was the coach, he implemented Zen Buddhism so that he would, so that the players would be in a space in a state of mind. Wow. This is in 95, 90, in fact, this is earlier. I think it was like 90, 91, 92, he implemented Zen Buddhism so that his players That's could amazing. be a lot more grounded in their approach and, you know, be a lot more aware of, 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 of scenes and scenarios around them. There are a range of sports teams, the Seattle Seahawks, um, the All Blacks, all, all rugby and rugby league teams, they incorporate, if you watch them, this is for the guys out there, if you watch them, a lot of the successful rugby teams, whenever there's a try scored or um, half time or any sort of break, they'll get together and they'll take three deep breaths. They'll go, and they'll just do that three times. But th what mm. that moment is, that's a meditation moment. That is yeah. mind. That is recentering yourself and calming your calming your mind and emotions so that you can tackle the next thing. And so for men. They need to see that, that benefit. They need to see that there are a lot of other people out there that don't drink, that meditate, that you know, don't eat meat, all those sorts of things. Mm. And then they'll go, oh, actually, all right, I'll give it a try. And then they'll give it a try. And then they'll continue on the path. And then once they're in this, in this stream, this flow, you just need to encourage them. You just need to be non-judgmental in your approach, non-forceful non with what you're recommending. In fact, not even recommending anything. Just allow them to talk, you know? Yeah. Allow men to open up and to speak and be like, Mark, I found this, you know, this was really cool. You're like, cool, man, that's awesome to hear. How did you find it? Yeah, it was blah, 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 blah. Awesome, man. So what's next? Blah, blah, you know, and it just, it just sparks that conversation and flows it into that direction. So yeah. it's really, I think men are a lot more difficult to guide in that sense than women. Um, yes. Men are, men are a lot more about logic and women are a lot yeah. more about feeling. And intuition mm. and you can tell a woman you know you should do this sort of meditation and they'll go yeah i will that'll be cool i'm gonna do that whereas <laughs> you know, guys will be like you know tell them you should do this sort of meditation they'll be like why what's what's the purpose why, why should i do that yeah but then that's where it comes into you know if you're a woman engaging with your left side brain with your logic and going okay well this reason this reason this reason this reason all backed by science maybe you should mm. things like that yeah Totally. Well, I think that would, knowing him, I, I think, knowing most guys, actually, I, that would so work for them if you said, like, well, this person did it and this person did it and, and, and look how successful they are because, yeah, guys are super logical and, girl, like, I'm so, like, if something feels good energetically to me, I just, I have a really big problem. I'm a yes person. Like, I get so excited and, like, if something feels good, I'm just like, yes, 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 let's do it. And then, like, my calendar is so booked up with all these things and I'm like, 
why do I say yes to all these things? But like, I totally agree that guys are more logical and like they need reasons behind things and like not so much, totally. not based on so much feelings, which is potentially why they uh, struggle to open up. Um, yeah, exactly. Because that's just, that's actually how their brain works. Um, yeah. Cool. And so I know you love to talk about sort of, um, you, you really help men to step into their power. Um, and I, I always love to sort of the last bit of the podcast, I, I love to get some sort of tactical advice from, from my guests. And I think this is such a amazing topic. I'm really glad that you came on to, to speak about this sort of stuff because it's not something that's spoken about enough. And we really need to start increasing the awareness of this um, in the, in the Western world. I'm sure mm. in the whole world as well, but I'm not, so familiar with anything besides like Australia and Bali. <laughs> um, well, yeah, Australia, definitely we need to start talking about this more. So whole world, definitely. Yeah. It, I mean, do you have any tactical advice or any steps that people could maybe, uh, not people, men could potentially take to start feeling like they are stepping more in towards their power and sort of like redefining what it means to be a man like is there any sort of processes or steps that people can follow or do you have any tactical advice in that regard yeah so one piece of advice that i would that i would give is to step out of your own way if i was giving this advice to a man let's say you're a man you're, you're clearly <laughs> not but, but if, if i was giving this advice to a man and yeah. and, and they said you know, what would you say to me? I said, look, get out of your own way. 100% get out of your own way. You may think that you know it all, but I've got news for you, friend. It's, you don't. The greatest true wisdom is knowing that you know nothing at all. And mm. the more that you believe in that, the more that you will learn. And what that'll do is that'll start the process of you asking questions. And when you start asking mm. questions, you're seeking knowledge. But no one has it down. No one has a secret formula. No one is is 100. You know the person that um, that they wish they were. Everyone is always trying to be someone else, trying to be someone a, a, a further version of themselves, whether it's someone else or try to emulate different you know personality traits from other people. And that's okay. You are exactly the same as every single person out there. But what these people have that you know are succeeding is that they're willing to learn and they're willing to develop. And they're willing to realize that they don't know it all. And it's okay, to, it's okay to get out of your own way and to go, shit, you know what? I'm going to ask for help. I'm going to do something out of my comfort zone. Get out of your comfort zone. Do something different. Go to yoga that one time. Go learn how to meditate. Go put on a YouTube video of, of Zen Buddhism instead of watching highlights of the LA Lakers versus the Boston Celtics. Like, do, do stuff like that. Do something yeah. different every week. Do one thing differently every single week. Then bump that up to every single day. And then just constantly keep learning, constantly keep evolving, constantly keep being and walking towards that version of yourself that you want to be. Because here's the other thing that everyone knows, but no one really knows, is that the person that everyone wants to be is themselves. They only want to be themselves. They only want to be a future version of themselves who has it all set out. They don't want to be Taylor Swift. They don't want to be... Um, Kanye West, they don't want to be Barack Obama, you know. You want to be Taylor, yeah. Taylor Peart, Taylor Pia. <laughs> yeah. You want to be Taylor, you know, but a fully embodied and, and goddess-like version of yourself. I want to be Dane. I want to be this version of Dane who is, you know, a warrior, a king, who is the person that I've seen. Every single other person out there wants to be there. And until you realize that, well, you'll still be flying around trying to be other people. But Get out of your own way first. That's the first piece of advice. Amazing. I absolutely love it. Um, so, Dane, if people want to find more, um, out, out, find out more about what you do or, like, the Facebook group that you were talking about, can you, can you share with the audience where they can find more of you online? Yeah, for sure. So, add me as a friend. Um, I like friends and I like <laughs> adding people. But if you want to add me as a friend, I love these sorts of conversations. My name is Dane Robertson. Um, I'm one of Taylor's friends uh, on her Facebook, so you can Google store me that way. Um, my uh, business page is Dainty Fropo. You can check me out on that. Um, that's also my Instagram handle, Dainty Fropo. I'll, 
I'll send Taylor all these details because it's pretty hard to spell. Um, but the other thing as well is the, so the Male Empowerment Network is the closed Facebook group, the Male Empowerment Network. And that's the space where men can come and just talk and be a part of the, the shared lives and be a part of it all. So come be a part of that. I uh, would love to see you in there. would love to communicate more and talk with more like-minded people and yeah, get to know people more. Amazing. Okay, Dane, and if there was one last thing that you could say to the audience today, what would it be? One thing I would say to the audience is to never give up. Never give up on whatever it is. If you sit mm. back, break that setback down, jump that hurdle and keep going. Keep going. Just never give up. Whatever it is, if you feel like you're, if you feel like you are floundering if you feel like you're stagnant if you feel like you've lost motivation just never give up because mm. your next level is on the end of of whatever it is that you are trying to give up so just never yeah. give up i love it thank you so much dane it's like it's i think this is such an important topic that we really need to get out into the community more so i'm super super grateful for you coming on the podcast today. Guys, I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. I feel like Dane provided so much value. Um, so if you did enjoy it, don't forget to subscribe or leave a review or leave a comment or whatever you want to do. Um, and until next week, we'll see you later. Bye. Thanks, Taylor. Bye, guys. Want even more millennial business insights and to connect with like-minded business owners from around the world? Join our Facebook community for tips on how to take your business to the next level and chat with myself and other listeners. All you have to do is visit facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash millennial girls media gang to be a part of this wonderful community. For show notes and downloads, head to www.themillennialbusinesspodcast.com where you can find out more about this week's guest and me. If you enjoyed this week's show, would you just take a screenshot and post it to your Insta story? I know this episode could help so many other business owners to see the amazing changes that they can make to grow their business exponentially. Until next time, my awesome listeners, keep chasing your big business goals and thank you so much for tuning in to the Millennial Business Podcast.